0: Welcome to Meet an African Pastor podcast. My name is Anthony Seitzma, and in this podcast, I interview different African pastors so that people around the world can hear about what their lives are like and pray for them. And most importantly, this gives all of us an opportunity to learn from the African church. Thank you for listening. Welcome, all of you listeners. We're glad to have you back for another episode. Uh, I'm with Joseph today, but over Zoom, we're not in the same place. Uh, Joseph and I have become friends. We met in Kampala at a workshop a couple years ago and had a good time. And since that time, we've shared research with one another and helped each other in our different ministries. So, Joseph, I'm glad to be with you today. And we're going to be looking at a one specific topic, which is a burning topic in Uganda, which is the problem of the prosperity gospel. And we'll be going into deep on that subject. But Joseph, first, before we get into that topic, share a little bit about yourself, your organization, what you do, your family, the different ministries that you are involved in.
1: Uh, thank you, brother, uh, Antony. It's uh, such a great pleasure to uh, be hosted and uh, to talk about this great important topic yes um, my name is joseph Yamukama, and i am uh, the founder and team leader of veracity found a ministry in kampala uganda that seeks to research resource and revitalize the ugandan church we do conduct uh, contextual theological research that seeks to answer questions that ugandans are asking uh, from a biblical and historical theological standpoint we also seek to resource the church, and that, of course, the research feeds into the resourcing, uh, but we also have a public theological library in Kampala where uh, pastors, clergy, and uh, laity could come and find good, trustworthy, sound um, theological materials and books, uh, read, study, research, as such. We are just located in Mukoto. We also, of course, try to provide online uh, content and so podcasts, but also YouTube. And so if, if you visited our YouTube channel, you would find some good, good conversations there. But we also have weekly uh, small group Bible studies where we try to equip people to know how they can handle uh, the text uh, faithfully in, and in context. So those are a few of the, uh, you know, uh, ministry activities that we do have in platforms. Uh, but I'm married to Daphne. And together we have two boys, um, one makes five in March and the other makes uh, two. And so my house is usually full of joy and noise sometimes.
0: That's great. Thank you so much, Joseph. And thank you for the work that you're doing uh, for listeners. One of the hard things that Joseph and his team are doing is correcting false teaching uh, in a sort of public way, help, helping people um, to see the truth of God's word, that's not an easy thing to do. Uh, you can get a lot of criticism if you're someone who reveals the problematic teaching of cults and so forth. Joseph, how has that been for you dealing with, you know, trying to help people see certain false teachings? Does that give you a lot of uh, a lot of attack from other people?
1: <laughs> uh- probably not that much maybe it's it's that in a way i'm used um because i'm I'm quite aware that the journey of discipleship involves learning and unlearning and the process of unlearning can be quite quite difficult for many because it deals with uh, long-held beliefs and teachings that people cherish and hold dear and in a sense they become their part of their identity and so telling them this is actually not biblical, maybe there is a a more and better way to look at something might come off as an attack, not just uh, about, you know, against what they believe, but against their very, very own identity. And so, yes, sometimes you get uh, sharp responses and um, I was was, was speaking with some friends who were telling me in response to an an article I wrote in, um, in the two national newspapers concerning one of the Uh, self-styled prophets and um, this friend was telling me how uh, his followers apparently were looking for me of course metaphorically I don't think uh, they meant that physically but in a sense they were they were enraged that I could have a response to their uh, cherished prophet and so you occasionally might get uh, people like that but also you get people who uh, begin to appreciate um, what you say as they go back to scripture as they begin to search and see uh, for themselves, what they have held, and how, and if that actually squares well with God's word. And sometimes, over a long time, maybe, I remember the conversations I used, I used to have with some uh, people on, on Facebook, and they were quite, quite against what I was saying. And uh, four or five years down the road, they were basically tr- totally transformed. And I remember asking one of them, What happened? And they uh, responded and said, God happened. And so you occasionally get those, um, you know, encouragements to see that your engagements, whether online or uh, physically, actually with time, they can bear fruit because God takes those conversations if you're faithful and begins transforming other hearts. But for others, they are quite happy and glad that actually that there is that clarity that is provided Um you know um in concerning God's word and concerning his teaching in our context so you you can get a mixed bag of reactions from different people depending on where they are and their convictions
0: i tend to think if you're you're doing a good job teaching the truth you're going to have sharp reactions on both sides um similar to how jesus did um so one of those false teachings that we wanted to look at today and it's not really one false teaching but a whole set of different things is what is known as the prosperity gospel and there are a lot of different false teachings out there but this one seems to be one of the most prevalent in Uganda and maybe in the world. Um, can we start, Joseph? how would you personally define the prosperity gospel? When you hear that phrase, that term what what do you think of or what are some of the the teachings of of, of the prosperity gospel?
1: Well, um, so in my Ugandan context, usually it takes on the idea that Christ died so that you and I may have a disease-free and a materially abundant life. And so the promise tends to be that um, we or have all that we need or want. All just, that we just need to do is to believe and receive. So name it and claim it. Uh, a message built on materialism, the love for a comfortable life here on earth, a sort of um, a baptized version of uh, the American dream, and so that health and wealth and disease-free, abundant, abundant life is what I would uh, look at as uh, as the prosperity gospel, especially in
0: our context, in our Ugandan context. And are they? Where are they getting that idea from from scripture? Um, are, are there is it a general theme that they're not getting quite from getting cor- correctly from scripture or are there specific passages that they're really drawing on?
1: Yeah well some passages might be um you know Isaiah 53 uh, by his stripes you are healed uh, which then is taken to mean that when Christ died on the cross in that sense he he bought your healing now. Of course, we would agree that the death of Christ does bring uh, healing, uh, spiritual healing uh, for our sins and our sin sickness, but also the ultimate uh, final healing that comes when we are glorified. But what they tend to mean from that text indeed is um, that when Christ died on the cross, he released that physical healing to you now. Now, what you need to do is to claim that. So that, that would be one of the passages that they would use, but they would also go to, you know, um, Genesis with, with the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Solomon as well and how materially rich they were. And they think about, say, Galatians chapter three, where the blessing of Abraham is, is, is conferred unto us. And they do not read that blessing of Abraham in, Gen- in, in Galatians three as our being made right with God through the cross, but rather meaning that basically all the material wealth and and riches that He had uh, somehow get transferred to us um, who are now in Christ. And so there are quite a couple of, of passages that uh, they would they would go to, but of course the the issue tends to be that they are misquoted or misapplied or misinterpreted uh, texts as such.
0: Yeah. That's helpful. That's helpful to get started into this into this topic, to see what kind of things they're teaching. One of the things that I think I've noticed, but I want to see what, what you think, um, is that it seems to be sort of two levels of the prosperity gospel here in Uganda, that there's there's the in-your-face prosperity gospel that most people recognize, but then there's sort of this theological prosperity gospel that is mainstream and over almost every church in the country to some degree and in ourselves as well sometimes we can fall into it Um, what I mean is that the in your face one is like a pastor telling the congregation if you sow a seed God's going to give you a vehicle next week and so most of the pastors I work with would be very very against that kind of idea and they're preaching against those kinds of prosperity gospel teachings. But then there seems to be another level, which was more what you started talking about at the beginning, that people think being a Christian is a guarantee of a healthy life and that I will have you know abundant possessions as long as I have enough faith or as long as I have enough faith, God's going to give me anything that I pray for. Could you comment on that? Do you see those kind of two levels as well? Yeah, and and, and
1: you might argue that at the heart of both is the, the idea that, you know, the seeing, seeing faith as transactional, the idea that if you believe enough, you will get things. And those things might be material, they may not be. They might be a wife, a car, a house, good health, good children, etc. But if you believe well if you live well then basically you there is an exchange that happens um and so if you so you you find people then beginning to measure their spiritual life or their faithfulness best on um the things they get and so you just think about the the book of of job uh, basically um if if you're suffering then consequently there must be something wrong with you and um, that's the I, underlying idea that both Job and his friends had. And so Job keeps saying, I I didn't do anything wrong. Why am I suffering? Or his friend saying, you are suffering. You must have done something wrong. And, and seeing this word as if it's governed on a retributive sort of like scale. Uh, it's it's what you put in that you get out, sort of like a an ATM in a sense, you put in your card, you get out money. And that can appear or manifest itself at different levels. And so a, a mother can can blame themselves if, for example, their children, does, their children do not uh, come out good, um, regardless of whether she has done what her duty is. Usually the lingering thought is, what did I do wrong? And sometimes their happiness can be tied to the happiness of... the child and and how they do as well without knowing it actually you find that their identity gets to be tied to you know the performance or the outcome that they get in life and then they begin you know um defining their faith or their spiritual walk or their faithfulness based on what they get out at the heart of it is actually the transactional uh understanding of what faith is you speak you claim you receive what you give is what you get
0: yeah do you, so there's that transactional component of the faith which is very problematic is there also um so there's the there's the false teaching part of it the, or the incorrect view of faith is there also a misplaced focus about what salvation means and what what jesus did on the cross or is it more of like people do, people do believe Jesus, their savior, died for them, take away their sin, give them His righteousness, but also, He promises this uh, healing and, and and money. Or is it like just focused on the 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 healing and money and not really thinking so much about um, the cross?
1: yeah I, I guess that
0: varies from
1: um uh, individual to individual and maybe context to context. And so when you get to our street preachers, for example, the majority of them there are I think a few that uh, do know uh, the gospel, but there are some who you find things like, Ries, or Jakfunia, Motoka, oh come to Jesus you get a car come to Jesus you get that now if someone comes on that premise if they are coming because they want their circumstances to change, then their understanding of the cross will really be that focused. In a sense, the death of Christ becomes a transactional act in which I can live a good life here. There are, as you noted, some of those who say, yes, Jesus died for our sins. He died for our transgressions and trespasses to reconcile us back back to God. But then also these things are promised uh, again. Matthew six, I think, uh, seek ye first the kingdom, and all these things will be added unto you. Now, of course, in the context, all these things concern food and drink and clothing, not necessarily a limousine or something. But they they have an understanding that if if I have yes, this was taken care of, my sins are forgiven. But also on top of that, I. Um, I definitely am supposed to be having, quote, abundant life. I'm supposed to be having a car. I'm not su- I'm supposed to be suffering. I'm not supposed to be uh, in luck because the cross purchased all this. And, of course, I think that's the sort of teaching that tends to be from come from the likes of uh, Kenneth Copeland and, and the like. So Jesus purchased your whole package in that sense, including your um, limousine or, um jet, private jet uh, for some who have enough faith to believe for that. And so it's a mixed bag. But of course, there are those who indeed understand that um, there is the already and then not yet. There they are those who appreciate the gospel and understanding that our, the cross dealt uh, a fatal blow to the root cause of all our problems. And that is our relationship with God gone wrong because of our sin and our rebellion against him. And he dealt with that and reconciled us to God in as much as there is that promise of a future where there is no more pain, no more tears, no more uh, suffering. And so that there are those who indeed understand the need to live in light of the brokenness of this world, but with hope that there is um, a a reconciliation, a a full glorification and restoration of of things uh, in the days to come. So it, it might vary from person to person, from church to church, from context to context as well.
0: Yeah, you, you brought up the Matthew passage and sorry to put you on the spot a little bit with a difficult question, but um, when when Jesus says and all these things will be added unto you, it certainly sounds like he's promising that our 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 physical needs will be met. Maybe not the limousine, but the you know, the food and the water for each day. And yet we know from experience, but also from the Bible, that there are people who are strong in faith who don't always have those needs like the apostle Paul, for example, says he's mm-hmm. always hungry, always thirsty, always persecuted, getting in shipwrecks, and so forth. So how can how can Paul say, you know, his life is one of always being hungry and yet Jesus yeah. is saying all these things will be added unto you? And that's a hard question that I'm throwing to you because it's something that I was thinking about. Just wondering if you have any wisdom to share, and if you don't have a good answer to that question, we can we can still move move forward. But just wondering if you have any wisdom to share on that.
1: Yeah, no, no, yes, <laughs> it's it's a very very good question and a difficult one indeed. I suspect the the call and what Christ would be indeed getting at is the fact that God cares about and for us. And that our worrying about what to eat, about what to drink, about what to put on, about where to sleep, would not add anything to that. Rather, our trust in the goodness, in the faithfulness, and in the kindness of God is um, what is more paramount. And because worry does uh, reveal our lack of trust in God. And I think that's what um, Jesus is getting at. I don't think he means that we will be getting everything that we think we need at every moment but also remembering that ultimately God is not necessarily seeking to make our stay here comfortable uh, but rather he's shaping us and conforming us to the image of Christ uh Romans 8 uh 29 to 30. and so that if he would use the hungering as 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 the case for for Paul when he says I've learned to be content in all things i've learned to be at best and to abound i've learned to suffer luck and to and to have much it's that even in our suffer in our suffering suffering lack and being abased he is shaping us into a kind of people that look like his son into a kind of people that are content uh having him and people that trust him not in the things that we possess and so i don't think the two passages are at odds in that sense, but rather one is calling us to, actually you could say both are calling us to uh, put our trust in God and understand his fatherly heart, to know that he will care for us um, and he will, in that process of caring for us, be shaping us into a people who truly understand who he is and truly treasure him and him alone above anything that this world can offer.
0: Yeah, that's a really helpful answer, actually. I, I think, looking at what you said, adding in like God is working for our good, and and the whole of our lives—not just with the good things that happen, but even in our suffering, God is working something for good, shaping our character, and our needs. Our our perception of what our needs are may be different from <clears throat> from God's. God mm-hmm. God has a desire for us to have our physical desire our physical needs met but he also has a desire for us to be shaped in holiness and dependence on him and in his plan he's making sure to work on both of those things for us um anyway that's good let's uh let's move to another question um how prevalent is the prosperity gospel in uganda or and if if you feel comfortable to answer throughout throughout africa
1: I think they are very, very popular. Um, for for many Ugandans, this is quote the gospel, the gospel that they know. I put the gospel in quote because as as one friend was telling me, it's not a gospel; it's it's a teaching, but it's it's not a gospel. But it's quite quite prevalent. So our televisions, our radio, our radios propagate this kind of teaching, and uh, and so does our music and mega pastors as well. Um, In Uganda, um, you could say the oldest, uh, one of the oldest uh, Christian, um, you know, stations, uh, TV stations, LTV, Lighthouse, Television, uh, you know, had quite, you know, lengthy programs broadcasting TBN, Trinity Broadcasting Network, with its American televangelists who promote this sort of Teaching, um, and you and you can even gauge the prop- popularity of this sort of um, message by, for example, visiting our quote Christian bookshops. I mean, you can go across Kampala and and any bookshops up country, and you realize that the books that are in there are not uh, um, John Piper, Timothy Keller, Charles Spurgeon, um, Don on books. No one will buy those. The books you find there are TD um, Joel Austin, Joyce Mayer, Kenneth Copeland, Smith Wigglesworth. You find those books sell a lot. In fact, I know of bookshops that have stopped importing such good books, uh, the, the Kelland and the like, because no one buys them. And so they don't make money, they, they lose. Uh, their business they've stopped importing those precisely because the books that sell in Uganda would be the health and wealth kind uh Myers Monroe and, and the like so it's it's prevalent from town to uh villages uh, it's, the teaching is quite widespread
0: that's very unfortunate and as an American <laughs> it's really sad what we're exporting to uh to Africa um now, One of the things that confuses me, though, you talk about how popular it is, and people keep reading these books and watching them on television and so forth. But it seems like the prosperity teaching is self-defeating in the sense that you only have to live a little bit to realize that these promises that they're making are not coming true. And so I'm wondering why do people keep coming back to these teachings or why do they keep coming back to a church that's preaching this when you would think that, okay, this guy promised me this, if I just had enough faith and yet I'm not healed. Uh, So you would think, okay, that guy must not have scripture understood rightly or he must be a liar or something. Uh, And maybe they would even leave the church, like the church completely, um, they think that they were lied to and this doesn't make sense. So why do people keep coming back after they experience those disappointments?
1: Yeah uh, that's 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 an important uh, question that might have layered responses. One of them being that the people who propagate these teachings are rich. the pastors are rich and so and usually we are looking up to the pastor and wanting in quotes his an, or his or her anointing. Um, depending on which church you're you're in. And so just looking at them and them telling you their testimony about how poor they were and how they were doing bad and they trusted God for these things and look where they are. um, People keep hoping that maybe it could be their opportunity next time. That's one. Secondly, we, we don't tend to, especially in our Ugandan or even largely African context, we don't tend to love God with our mind. And I say tend because it's, this is a generalization as such but what i mean by that is you are asking a good question of stepping aside and saying come on wait a minute i i'm making i'm making this preacher rich but i'm actually suffering and i can't take my uh, children to school how come i believe that no we don't step aside to think that way to think that maybe this has nothing to do with me having little faith and this has nothing to do with me actually being able to be where the pastor is, but probably my understanding of what God is calling me to do or what even salvation is, is probably off. And so that that would be uh, something noble to do. The Bereans, I think, in Acts 17 would probably do that. But it's not something we tend to do because we are told the things of God, you don't reason them, as, as some might say. And so we tend to leave our mind at the altar at, at the altar, when when we uh, respond to the altar call, we go back without our mind. And so you find many people telling you don't reason these things out. But the other reason I, might, I should say is because I think, as you would know, many Ugandans, many Africans have suffered for too long uh, unemployment, poverty, disease, misfortune. And anyone would love to escape that. I mean, I, I long to escape that too. And so when you find... A message that promises you that you can do that sooner than later and by doing something, uh, it tends to be popular, it tends to be appealing, uh, regardless of whether it does not uh, accord with what the Bible teaches. The other aspect, too, is the poor theology of suffering that we have. We do not see the redemptive side to suffering as such, or how it shapes us, or how God saves us through it. And I'm having in mind passages like Romans 5, 1 to 6, James 1, 2 to 4, first Peter 1, 6 to 8, among other things. The fact that actually through trials, through tribulation, through our hardships, God is shaping us to look like his suffering son, to look like the crucified Christ. We do not actually think critically about how the things we go through might reveal the surpassing majesty and sufficiency of God and his grace, and his son, and his spirit, and his sacrifice. We rather think of suffering as something that indeed we must by all means um, confess away and do all things to remove without seeing what God might be doing in the present. And the lack of the, you know, uh, that, that sort of lack of sound theology of suffering or good perspective on suffering also comes because we, we lack theologically trained people and sound local churches. And so if you, we don't have, as you might know, the statistics in Uganda, some, some would say about 90% of our pastors have no theological training whatsoever. And what that means then is that they would not be equipped well enough to think through some of these issues and help their congregation think through some of these issues. And then if you have LTV, if you have, TBN, if you have Top TV, if you have Channel 44 and these other televisions propagating this sort of teaching, it becomes second nature in that sense. And if you have not an encounter with what the church has always told, you, you will assume that this is this is what the Christianity is, and you won't even know there might be an alternative as such. And so there are quite a number of factors, I think, that uh, play into why uh, prosperity teaching is quite popular and, and spreading in, in Uganda and in Africa despite the fact that it does not work.
0: Yeah, that is, that's also helpful to think through. And it can make us less, keeping those things in mind can make us maybe less judgmental of people that are falling into that. But that leads to my other question is, we've been calling it false teaching. Uh, is that too harsh? Uh, you know, the the when the Bible talks about false teaching, teachers, it uses really, really strong language about them. And so when we look at this teaching and how prevalent it is, is it right to call these people false teachers? Or would we just say that they're Christian brothers who are ignorant or who are in error? Um, Or would you call some of these preachers false teachers and some of them it's more just that they're mistaken. Like, how should we be talking about this? Because I feel like the way we talk about it does matter with how people respond and 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 think about it. Yes, um,
1: I think it's a it's definitely definitely a false teaching. I think it exchanges the gospel for something that it is not. Um, now, are um, all. People who propagate it for teachers—I uh, don't think all are. I think there are those who do benefit from this teaching and would lose, and they know they would lose if people knew the truth. And I think those are uh, quite quite deadly uh, for teachers, and they will fight tooth and nail to make sure that this sort of teaching is propagated and and established and continues and prevails. But I'm quite sure that there are those who. Uh, repeat this sort of teaching because they do not know better because they haven't encountered the truth. And I think one way probably to know both is uh what their reactions would be when they are encountered or when they encounter the gospel. What is uh, their default setting? Is it to uh, deny, to reject, to argue, to even, um you could say, demonize those that might be uh, be proclaiming biblical truth or is it to say ah i'd never thought about it that way Uh, let me go back to my bible and check out and maybe get back to you um is there a willingness actually to re-examine what they believe in light of what scripture teaches or rather are they bent on their way and would shut out anyone who would Uh, seek to call them back to what the Bible actually teaches. So their response to correction, their response to a contradictory view, their response to the gospel, indeed, uh, I think might clue us as to whether they are intentionally propagating this because it benefits them or they actually are misguided, although they would love to know the truth.
0: Yeah, that's a good nuanced answer. Um, let's think about the origin of this teaching again. You mentioned some of these preachers on television mm-hmm. in the United States. Um I'd like to know what you think about that. Is, is all this teaching coming from the U.S. To, to Africa? Because I've also heard some people say that prosperity gospel is really a continuation of African traditional religion mixed with Christianity. So what is it coming from the US or is it coming from ATR or is it both or are they yeah
1: which one I, I is think the greater
0: pro- <laughs> yeah go ahead I think it's both,
1: um, in the sense that there is most of the quote heroes of this prosperity teaching in Uganda and Africa as I might have mentioned uh are American. So you can think of Creflo Dollar, Joyce Mayer, T.D. Jets, Myers Monroe, Um, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Jesse Duplantis, Perry Stone, Rod Parsley, I can continue. Of course, you also have Joseph Prince in uh, in Singapore and you have Hillsong in Australia. But yeah, most most of them would, would, would be uh, from the US. I recall myself in, I think it was 20, 2006 when um Benin came. I walked a total of about 27 kilometers. That's about 17 miles from Macary University to Nambole Stadium just just to uh watch you know Benhin to attend his uh conference is it conference or you know um and and, and it was the stadium was totally full as Nam Nambole was For I think that was about 80 uh thousand people if I'm not mistaken. Now um you would know even our new year, a new year crossovers as well. The stadium tends to be full, but there is a sense in which we look, uh, at least in our Ugandan and African context, people look towards those American televangelists as the ideal example of how a function of faith should look like. They are, uh, they are heroes as such. Now I say both because that um, also comes from our. African traditional sort of worldview that indeed looks at faith, as I mentioned at the start, as transactional and prosperity. The prosperity teaching presents a transactional God: you scratch my back, I scratch yours, kind of arrangement, uh, which is not dissimilar to, uh, say, the Greco-Roman gods. If you've read um, Greco-Roman mythologies, if you read uh, Homer, the Iliad and and uh, the you know Odyssey, um, if you've if you've read ancient Near Eastern literature, Babylonians, Hittites, Egyptians, it's it's a a sense in which the gods exist for our sake, we do not exist for their sake. And I think it's Pastor Conrad Mbewe, who uh, I believe you hosted uh, some time back, who aptly notes how prosperity creatures in our Ugandan and, and in our African context tend to be like witch doctors who mediate blessings or curses to the best leader. And this is native. This is our very own tradi- traditional African worldview. That, in a sense, what matters is me and my place in this world, and then I begin relating every with everything else and everyone else from my standpoint as I, and what brings me joy, what brings me happiness, what brings me success and prosperity as such. And so, if I, if I, if it means using even God or using Bible verses to get what I want, I will do that. So the prosperity teaching that, you know, comes from the West reinforces that already existing impetus, that already existing fertile soil, and in a sense affirms us in our already existing presuppositions about what a good life or what even a blessed life should look like. And these these, American evangelists tend to be quite more eloquent um, in you know, um, giving us more reasons to think that what we believe is right. So I think it's it's both our heroes or uh, the heroes of the prosperity teachings in our Ugandan, our African context tend to be uh, Western, but they re- reinforce what already is existing here on the ground and in our hearts.
0: So I, I think Joseph, you spent some time in the US. I'm wondering. Uh, for the Orthodox churches in the U.S. who are not teaching prosperity, is there something more that they should be doing? Are they neglecting doing something important? Um, you know we have freedom of religion, so we can't exactly stop these other preachers um from exporting what they're exporting. But uh, do you have any comment on that? That you is there anything you'd hope that the American churches would be doing to deal with this?
1: Yes, probably uh, on two levels. One is in terms of helping with the training of pastors and Christian leaders in Uganda, in Africa. Um, so I, I I spent three years at Gordon Conwell for my Master of Divinity. And <laughs> I went there because there was a fully funded scholarship for me to go there, as you would have known. If if you're looking for theological education in good sound institutions, you can't afford you can't afford the cost. I know it's even difficult for for the American you know themselves uh, you know him him or herself, uh, but then it's way way worse and harder for a Ugandan if they want to get good theological training. And so, how do we support sponsor um, you know and educate the African pastor? Who wants to actually be equipped to serve their people quite well? I think that's on one end. And I mean, I spent, I spent nine months trying to get funding because I didn't, I didn't have any connection to, to the US at all. And all I could rely on was an online opportunity. I remember one of the seminaries where I was accepted could only offer me $1,600 per year as a scholarship. Now that, that doesn't help. Um, much it, it would just probably cover a ticket or it wouldn't even cover my books uh, as you would know as such. And so how do we how do we support those theological training efforts? The second thing is the aspect of resources. As I mentioned, um, there are many, many prosperity gospel books that or prosperity teaching books that find flood our Christian bookstores. Uh, But if we wanted good theological resources at a cost-effective price, where do we get them from? I was just recently in San Antonio for the ETS and SBO. These are two international uh, uh, theological conferences. And I was having conversations with the biggest, you could say, uh, publishers, uh, Crossway, Baker, Zondervan, and the likes and and one of the questions I kept asking is how can we get these good materials into the hands of an African pastor, an African teacher, an African Christian at a cost that they can afford because those books tend to be published and sold at a cost that an American can afford but the, the, what an American can afford is not what a Ugandan will afford and of course there's shipping costs and all that and so how do we think through ways in which we can have some of these resources here to be able. So, if you tell someone you shouldn't be reading that book, it's actually very dest- you know destructive to your faith. They can easily ask, "What should I be reading?" And then you are left with less options, or probably no options for them. And so, I think on on those two fronts, there could be other ways. But being able to see how they can support um, and resource you know, the um, African pastor, teacher, theologian to be able to do contextual theology and, and serve our people quite well, but also for especially publishers, if there are any rights they might need to begin having conversations with local publishers to see how these books can actually be available to our, in our market at a cost that they can afford, without compromising quality, of course. I think those are conversations that need to be had.
0: Those are really important and clear action steps. So thank you, f- thank you for sharing those ideas. I'm um, getting back to some of the ways the prosperity gospel operates. Uh, one of the things that I see a lot is with this idea of transactional faith you talked about. But sometimes there's also this idea of faith that it's like it's your action. So. Um, I hear people praying, and they declare healing over someone, or they declare prosperity, or they establish whatever, or they break whatever. Um, I think you know what kind of prayers I'm talking about. How would you look at yes. those kind of prayers, and what kind of guidance could you give people who might be listening, and maybe they pray that way? How can what what could you tell them?
1: Yeah, I would I would start by saying that. Prayer is primarily communication with God. It's relational. And I think one thing that gets lost with a transactional approach to faith and prayer is that it loses that significant uh, foundation. The fact that you're talking to your father. You're talking to uh, Jesus, um, who is your Lord. And we it's it's like when you if you if you are married and you have children or if you have children you do not want them to basically see you as an atm as as something in that sense not even someone but something that can get them what they want and so a place to begin with prayer is to know that actually you're having communion with the father the father who knows you better than you know yourself a father who loves you better than you love yourself, a father who understands you better than you understand yourself, and who knows your need better than you understand them, and so rather than naming and claiming, you would rather actually approach him and asking him uh, to, um, you know, meet your need or present your uh, requests, as 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 Peter would say, present them to God. And then be able to understand that God might say, no, not yet, not right now, or maybe never. And so rather than naming and claiming where, and and maybe let me also append this. The fact that the naming and claiming tends to come from New Ageism, New Age uh, ideology, where in a sense we, in our African context, again, we believe that words have creative power in the sense that they create your reality. Um, and this is a belief that is prevalent here. It was prevalent in Egypt as well. Um, some of you, if you've, if you've read some of the reasons why, um, that are proposed as to why the Egyptians did, could not record the Exodus story was precisely because the Egyptians believed that what they write down is repeated in the future. And so writing down the defeat and their humiliation that they faced at the hand of Yahweh and the Israelites might would bring back that same history in the future. And so they scrapped it out of their records. They would record victories because they believed their words had creative power creating the future. And so even now in our prayers, in our lunch hours, in our overnight, we, we speak the future. Apparently we are told to speak the future. We begin taking on that sort of place of God uh, where we think rather than trusting in the able, loving hands of God, we actually want to be masters of our destiny. And yet I think the Bible calls us to a humble submission, a humble understanding that God has ordained the future from the past, that he is in control of history and he's calling us to align not with our plans, but to align with his plans he is the one at work he is the one that is shaping history he is the one that shapes the future he is the one that guides um human events and we are called to humbly and gladly submit to his leading and we submit to his leading through prayer and through um studying God, his word and through obedience but we tend to remove the aspect of obedience the aspect of trust the aspect of of patience, the aspect of endurance, the idea that we could even, God could even say no to what we request, we tend to not think he knows better than we do. Even though we, we confess he does, we do not act out in our prayer and in our lives that way. We we want to be masters of our own destiny. So I think I want to call people to back to uh, the humble trust in God reflected even through prayer, the Jesus prayer, not my will. But yours be done. That's something we don't usually pray.
0: That is so good, Joseph. Um, I love how all of that is on your heart and mind, and you didn't even prepare to um, talk about that in this conversation. But it's just uh, you're you're ready to go and teach and preach about that. It's so good. Um, i switching gears a little bit. Uh, when I've taught about the problem of this false teaching in the past. So I've gotten a couple criticisms and I want to see how you would respond to those criticisms. One criticism is that people say for too long, the church has been all about spiritual things and it's good that they're looking at physical things and they need to develop and they need to depend on God to make money. And so this is a good thing that people are focusing more on and money and development. So that's one criticism that I've gotten. Another criticism is Saying you know the poor are poor and they they have needs and they're desperate. Why are we criticizing them for reaching out to God for His provision? Like, isn't that uh, a good thing that they're having faith in God to meet their needs? Why are we getting? Why are we criticizing them about the prosperity gospel when they're already down? Isn't it right for them to uh, rely on God? So those are kind of two criticisms I've gotten when I've spoken up about the prosperity gospel how would you respond to each of those
1: yeah um so i I would say probably two things one is i think to the contrary the prosperity teaching tends to make uh, people lazy and this is what i mean Uh, so rather than working smart and hard we tend to be lazy and spend more time in overnights and lunch hours rather than working i've had conversations with uh with some employers um, who would say, "I, I, I am reticent to employ a born again Christian." Now, for those of you who don't know that term in the Ugandan context, it's a, uh, it's. You generally, biblically speaking, you could say every Christian is is born again. But in our context, born again tends to be synonymous with. With a either Pentecostal or charismatic and and these people say well because when we give them work before you know it they have left it early because they have a lunch hour with pastor so and so in such and such and more and so we I think have lost the opportunity to engage in work work hard and work smart because we think actually we can just name it and claim it so it's easy to Claim someone else's hard earned assets than work hard to earn them. And I think laziness is when we do not work but believe we can claim riches just because we say it either a sinner's prayer or just because we belong to a certain church. Now, the second thing I would love to say is indeed, I think we need to, you're right, in our African, in in our Ugandan context, yes, poverty is at, at a high, high level. And I think this is true for the majority of African churches. And as I mentioned, the affinity to the prosperity teaching comes from that desire to overcome that. And I think the desire to overcome poverty is a noble idea. What I might say is that how we go about that is is important. I think the Bible calls us to work. I mean, think about Ephesians 4.28. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Right? And you think about Apostle Paul, he could indeed, as he mentions in 2nd, I think 2nd Corinthians or 1st Corinthians uh, 9, I can't remember exactly. I think it's 1st, where he speaks of how he could, he worked with his own hands to provide for his needs. So I think we have a poor, poor theology of work, a poor understanding of work. The issue is not working and, and becoming materially rich. I don't think that in itself is an issue. I think the issue is uh, one, not working and expecting to earn but secondly, living for material things and having material things define you so that your spirituality is uh, determined by your bank account by what sort of jewelry or earrings you have, what sort of phone or iPhone uh, you latest, if you have the latest iPhone or if you drive or if you use a border border and all that. If if the things that you possess or do not possess begin defining you and your relationship with God, then there is something drastically wrong. And I would say that would not be what the
0: gospel proclaims. Thank you very much. Well, we are getting low on our time. Um, Maybe we, we need to start finishing up here. So let me just give you two last questions. Um, we have two categories of people generally listening. Of course, this is open to anyone in the world to listen to, but we have a lot of other African pastors listening, your colleagues who are serving and learning from one another as they listen. And then we have North American Christians who are also listening to learn from the African church. So is there any last encouragement or or idea or teaching or rebuke or encouragement, yeah. Any any of those that you would like to give to the North American listeners, and that you'd like to give to um, other African leaders who are listening on this topic.
1: Yeah, uh, for for the African pastor or uh, teacher, I would I would encourage you to preach God's word, preach God's word, and of course that presupposes that you've studied God's word. Um, do not be discouraged when you hardly see the fruit of your preaching and do not be tempted to teach what people want to hear. Uh, those tend to be uh, two um, errors that we could commit. But God works through his word when it's faithfully preached and his word bears fruit. And so let's study. Let's uh, show study to show ourselves approved uh, workmen that rightly handle God's word. Our call is to be faithful to God's mission, not to entertain people. So it's it's very possible that if you began preaching the gospel, your church size might reduce by half or even by 75%. It might be that you will not be as popular as uh, you could have been if you proclaimed or taught the prosperity teaching. But then again, our call is faithfulness to God and God will build his church where his word is proclaimed and faithfully preached. So don't be discouraged uh, in that and don't be tempted to, um, just satisfy itching ears and trying to uh, say what people want to hear. Be faithful to God's mission and uh, God will be uh, faithful in building his church. So that's to the African uh, pastor or teacher or leader. And for the North, American uh, listeners, Um, I would say blessings to those of you who uh, support or stand with or partner with healthy churches or mission organizations to see the gospel proclaimed in Uganda and Africa. The work, and until probably Christ returns, and sometimes you might wonder, is this bearing fruit, um, or should I shift my support or focus to other things but no your your support um you know has a great great impact and uh it helps us build the church in our context and so blessings to you and may you continue being faithful and may you pray as well that god will build his church uh here in uganda and in africa
0: Great. Let's end it there, Joseph. I really appreciate you giving time for this. I've learned a lot, and I know that our listeners will appreciate it as well. So God bless you and your work with research and um, continuing to help pastors to learn the truth of God's word.
1: No, thank you, brother, for this opportunity. I'm very, very grateful. Thank you for the work that you do as well.
0: Thank you.